We are all that separates the world from darkness. The enemy is ruthless. We cannot. We must not fail. Duty first. Perez! Won't be enough for you! What you're hearing right now is not audio from a new movie directed by Steven Spielberg or starring Tom Hanks. But it's a trailer for a video game, the newest iteration of Call of Duty, a massively popular first-person shooter video game. The series has sold 250 million copies and made $15 billion, which, to put that in a pop culture perspective that I can wrap my brain around, is just over 22 times as much money as the movie Titanic made around the world. Call of Duty is a first-person shooter. That's a game where the perspective you see as the player is as if you're looking through the eyes of the main character. And you have a gun, and you shoot lots of stuff. Call of Duty thrives on realism, and it's all about war. In the various iterations of the game, you play as a soldier, usually an American soldier, and you fight in battles, both real ones, mostly in World War II, and fictional ones, set in the Middle East and Russia. Although some stuff about the game is obviously fictionalized, like sometimes you fight zombies. The details of the game and the guns and the uniforms and the equipment is meant to recreate the real look and feel of what it's like to be a soldier. The way these conflicts in the military are depicted impacts how people playing the games see the world too, says scholar Saweed Alzaid. For me, it's interesting because it is a fictionalized representation of a true phenomenon and mostly from a perspective of, you know, Western uh, gamer culture. I talked to Alzaid in Berlin after I saw him give a talk about the representation of Arab identity in first-person shooter games, and I wanted to know more, a lot more. Um, let's see, can you just start off by saying your name and saying your job, like, who are you? Sure, um, I'm Saud Al-Zaid. Uh, I am a writer, uh, speaker, and researcher based in Berlin. I just finished my doctorate uh, last year, so I'm in that transitional uh, phase. And yeah, I'm a stay-at-home dad. That's my primary job at the moment. <laughs> So he was working on a dissertation about a rather different topic when he wound up looking at violence, identity, and video games. I study uh, radical Islamic thought in the Arabian Peninsula. I do kind of the intellectual background uh, to the Osama bin Ladens and uh, Ahmed al-Zawahiri's. So he is from Kuwait originally and got interested in video games because, well, he likes playing video games. In high school, he got really into playing a first-person shooter games like Quake, back when technology was still pretty clunky. Uh, Wolfenstein was the first one I played, uh, and then the Doom series, but it was like, you know, our computers back then were underpowered to even play those games. And in college, when we had faster internet connections in the kind of Quake generation, uh, it was interesting uh, kind of outlet for uh, violent feelings, as it were. <laughs> and since you were killing, uh, you know, either people in your dorm or strangers on the internet, uh, it seemed like an interesting outlet. Uh, then it became uh, a little closer to home because in a way that it was representing effectively someone who could beat me in a way that um, when you were representing like aliens or other life forms, it wasn't that obvious. When did you, when you were playing these games, was there a moment when you were like, huh, there's something interesting going on here. I'm not just shooting aliens. I'm not just, this isn't like just an escapist thing. This is shaping the way that I'm seeing the world or potentially shaping the way that the millions of people who are playing mm -hmm. the game are, are seeing themselves and seeing the world. So um, after college, uh, I would say, well, 9-11 happened 
two years before I graduated from university. And in the, so in the 2005, I would say, 2006, something like that, uh, was when Modern Warfare came out. By Modern Warfare, he's referring to Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the fourth game in the Call of Duty series. It's set in Afghanistan, Azerbaijan, and around fictionalized parts of the Middle East. These days, by the way, we're on Call of Duty number 14. Anyway, that's what modern warfare is. And it was really a representation of the Iraq, the American invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and it, it couldn't be more kind of obvious, you know, of, of the, um, the storyline and, and the representation of reality that they were taking. It, at first, it wasn't necessarily uncomfortable. I wasn't, you know, I'm not like a pro-jihadi or anything. It was, this was something I was studying. Um, and I was definitely, in a sense, anti-terrorism. Uh, but the way that the game was doing it was doing it in the same way as all uh, contemporary media was at the time. Like, this is the era of, like, Jack Bauer and the show 24, and these kind of, like, hokey representations of, like, the suicide Arab deranged male. Uh, and actually getting to play the video game introduced you to kind of, like, the, the technical aspects of conflict. You played the side of the U.S. Marine Corps, and you got to see the equipment that they used, and, you know, when you go up a level, you get to use more advanced um, uh, ammunition and, and guns and so forth. Uh, and the online multiplayer world in and of itself was a cultural domain where you saw uh, uh, sociological and cultural representations of the conflict, how people would, like, make fun of each other and, you know, egg each other on. Uh, uh, identity became part of the game, not just because of the way it was set up, but also because of who was playing. Mm -hmm. How much detail are talking here? Like when you play as a member of the U.S. Marine Corps, mm -hmm. do you get like the same, like a real gun that the Marines actually use? Does your uniform look like the Marines? Entirely. The, the attention to detail in the Call of Duty series is immaculate. They even um, do testing and audio samples from the real guns and try to simulate how it shakes in the in the uh, controller and so forth and tries to emulate the characteristics of a vari of the various weapons and on the um, radical Islamist side you have AK-47s you have like these kind of post-Soviet uh, antiquated machines and on the American side you have the most cutting-edge uh, Western European and American firearms while doing research for his dissertation in Saudi Arabia, Saweet came across an interesting scene involving Call of Duty. During my fieldwork, I was uh, uh, researching uh, pockets of, of uh, uh, Muslims who uh, are radicalized heavily against the West. And um, what's interesting, of course, is that they're not completely disconnected from Western society. They're not living in the desert or so forth. They're very much connected to their cell phones and they're watching TV, a lot of, you know, kind of soccer. Um, but the, the big one, the one that uh, caught my eye was, of course, that the kids were playing video games, even though this is kind of a tough uh, uh, point from an ideological perspective because of representation of the figure and so forth. Uh, and what really, really caught my attention was that uh, uh, some of them were using hacked versions of the video game where they actually adjusted the storyline. I really regretted not like taking a five minutes to be like, hey, can I have a copy of that? Or, you know, sort of figure out where they bought the game from. Uh, and I uh, tracked down, actually, the, the name of the game. It's uh, the Call to Jihad. It's actually the variation, Dawil al-Jihad. And it was actually a uh, Syrian hack of the game. Uh, and really, it's, it's, you know, it, 
the, the level of expertise to actually hack the game is really high, and you need a hacked console to play the pirated versions of games. Uh, and the the, re the only reason I can think of, um, it's it's like fan fiction in a way, but instead they just wanted to remove the kind of American heavy ideology and insert their own version of, of the story. Uh, and uh, it, the pieces of the game were already there, they just kind of changed the script. I asked Saeed how these video games based on the American military that have sold a quarter billion copies around the world impact how people see the U.S. military and war itself. My general outlook uh, about the issue is that the, conf the conflict that we have since September 11, 2001 uh, didn't come out of a vacuum. That there is already a cultural repertoire of like stereotypes and expectations uh, that not only played themselves out but mutated. Uh, some gr cultural forms, uh, like movies, had long established, you know, the, the imagine like the terrorists in Back to the Future, the Algerians or whatever. Uh, um, uh, you had these instances. Jack Bauer in 24 was actually airing when 9-11 happened. Uh, it's how it progressed over the next decade and in new technological forms and how this attracted very particular demographics in particular. Like it's, for me, I, I am always shocked when I meet a young male who's younger than me who hasn't played a first-person shooter, at least briefly, or is completely unaware. And the realism is part of the attraction that you're actually using M16s, you're using real weapons that you would use in the military. And this was ex ex specifically the kind of demographic that would join the U.S. Marine Corps, the Army, the Air Force, or whatever. And to be able to like be introduced to, for instance, UAVs, um, uh, 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 un unarmed uh, uh, vehicles like drones, that you actually could play them in video games when they're actually hitting the news almost, uh, almost uh, um, synchronized time uh, at the same time. Uh, and this, in a way, I think drives the conflict in the future because uh, these stereotypes become harder to erode they become calcified in our imagination. And whenever you see someone who looks like the enemy character in the video game, when you see them in real life, you immediately assume that they are the enemy. Yeah, so what, when you're playing Call of Duty, when you've seen all these people playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which is set in Iraq and Afghanistan and in um, kind of made up Middle Eastern towns, what sort of messages or representation do you think it's sending? Mm, I think, Parts of the details that um, I would catch on uh, is class, for instance. So in certain conflicts, when you're in a war-torn village in Afghanistan, uh, I'd see poor people, uh, not just like the enemy. And w when I see them fighting, I always have this like cringe of like, are they doing this to survive? You know, is this kind of a bare bones uh, type conflict? The the realism question now is that they're making their own realism and it's kind of this technocratic, uh, neoliberal, uh, and, and fr quite frankly racist worldview. What's racist about the games? I think the idea that um, the antagonists, not so much the protagonists, are very one-dimensional. Uh, they're revenge-seeking, they're uh, macho Arab males who are uh, uh, power-hungry dictators and, and so forth. They don't show, in a sense, the level of sophistication, for instance, that they would show of a 
uh, uh, Navy SEAL who has a family back home and a backstory and all this stuff. He's just like the evil thug. And partially maybe that's because of the game design, uh, uh, but I think it's also because of the inherent worldviews of the people who are making these games. So there are two different kinds of ways to play these games. You can play the narrative version. That's like playing through a movie. It's plot driven. That's what I like to play. Or you can play a multiplayer version where you play with other people around the world online. And it's usually more like a battle or a competition between individuals or teams. In the multiplayer version, the game is really a platform for communication. Players talk to each other through their computer mics, replete with lots of trash talking and also harassment. I asked Sawad how being able to anonymously talk to people they are either playing against or trying to kill pans out. When, when people talk about like um, evil Twitter or <laughs> like sort of uh, the anonymity of social networking is giving them a mask, they're only seeing like s- single digits of what it's like in the gamer world, uh, where trash talking is almost an art form. People are really mean to each other in these video games as well. And there's this kind of understanding that um, because you're so anonymous, you can pick whatever username. It's actually kind of hard to, to um, uh, create an identity in online games. You're more anonymous, I, I'd say, than social networking in general. Um, and you, you see, and it's it, it's depicting violence, and people are taking um, uh, uh, this is their relaxed time, and they're taking out their aggression verbally and uh, virtually on these games. And you definitely see. Um, more wild and extravagant behavior. And it's really interesting uh, um, that the girl gamers uh, um, suffer more than normal. When you hear a woman's voice, you have all these like horny teenagers who are kind of hitting on her slash also uh, uh, abusing her. And so these people are playing out real-life conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and the U.S. military, how does that come out in trash talking? Do people talk? Do people like talk about the war? Do they talk about their ideas about the Middle East? You you can represent your nationality. You can have the, these within your avatar uh, a flag sometimes, or uh, you have a couple of letters where you can represent. You know, K U W would be Kuwait, U S A, of course. Um, and you do see that patriotic expression. The multiplayer game. Uh, 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 the backdrop, as it were, uh, is almost like generic. It could be Paris, it could be Baghdad. It almost doesn't matter, but the look and feel changes. Uh, So whenever I play, uh, and it's the streets of Paris, I feel like, oh, look at these cute shops and cafes, you know, know, maybe uh, uh, you feel a little more cautious. But when you go to the Iraq level and there's a helicopter that's destroyed in the middle of the courtyard of a mosque, you're like, oh, screw this place, you know, like, just blow them all. It does actually color your psychological valence on the game you're playing. Uh, There's even levels that uh, uh, do downtown Manhattan. And for me, this is sometimes creepy because I walk down these streets and I'm like, oh, wait, I know this from the game. I know a good hiding spot, (laughs) blah, 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 but it exists in reality. You know what I'm saying? uh, These representations are a little... um, In German, you'd say unheimlich, or it's like spooky. I was curious about, you've watched people in the Middle East play these games. Do you feel like they have that feeling when they're playing Call of Duty and they're seeing somewhere that looks like the Middle East? Like, have you watched Iraqis or Afghanis or um, other people whose homes are represented in these games play them? Yeah, I played um, with Iraqis and Kuwaitis and others uh, um, online as well and talked to them. 
uh, about the game. And for us, it's like there's kind of a mixed feeling, uh, a kind of a strong ambivalence between knowing that the resources to produce these games are on one side, so to speak, uh, so they get the tools to depict the conflict in any way they see fit. This isn't just video game developers writing games themselves. There's actually a history of the U.S. military working hand-in-hand -hand with the video game industry, both for training and recruitment. The U.S. military, I, throughout its modern history, has had um, access to uh, uh, the most cutting-edge technologies and were, I think, always had their ear open to utilizing them uh, functionally. And, and uh, the first... Uh, or one of the earliest representations of the first-person shooter was a space flight simulator called Spasim, uh, uh, which was actually kind of like uh, a simulation of Star Trek, so a 3D representation of, of um, space. And almost immediately when they developed that technology in the University of Illinois in the early 70s, the US military took that technology and developed a um, fighter jet simulator almost a year or so later. Uh, and in the early 80s, they hired Atari to make a uh, Bradley tank simulator, so to drive tanks. Uh, and in the late 90s, uh, they um, modded a version of Doom that the US Marine Corps used to um, uh, practice strategies of a um, small marine company. Uh, so it's always actually been an integral component. And uh, um, they, I think they recognize that it's also a recruitment tool, which is probably why they assist um, these game developers to, to you know, uh, you, you see on YouTube, for instance, the game developers going and hanging out in military camps and discussing uh, um, realistic aspects of gameplay and so forth. So there is kind of this uh, symbiosis between game developers and the uh, military, for sure. So developers who are making games like Call of Duty and other first-person shooter games like that that are super realistic and based around the American military, like go and talk to the military about that and get information from them or get storylines from them? Oh, most certainly. And ex-military people are the, I think, core advisors of these video games. It's very clear that um, uh, you know, some like operational details or even describing a group as reservists versus um, uh, uh, enlisted and, and uh, you know, like all these structures are super accurately represented. Uh, and it, the point of contrast, of course, is how the terrorist cells or whatever are always like shrouded in kind of mystery, or it's um, uh, uh, seen as nefarious. And uh, the, the, there is the one scene where they, um, I think it's Call of Duty 2, where they go to a poppy field in Afghanistan, and this is kind of the main headquarters of the jihadists. And I just remember like kind of being in this, and it's, it's, it seems almost like you're in outer space. Like they're really. Uh, going on a limb sometimes when they're trying to depict the other side as, as super nefarious as like, uh, and I, I, for a conscientious uh, consumer of these video games, I, I can't help but wonder about like the teenager who's just like thinking this is what it's like over there, uh, and these are exactly the demographic that would join the military and and fight in these conflicts. Video games put you in the mind of the main character, and that can make them effective for exploring identity and also as effective propaganda. In 2001, the U.S. military got started working on their own video game series. It's called America's Army. It's a first-person shooter series that's financed by the U.S. government and is available for free download to anyone who wants it. The game is a strategic piece of communication. It's designed to recruit people. 
and it prides itself on being super accurate. Here's a clip from YouTube of the game developers spending a day shooting guns to collect audio along with the army. It's all set to this bumpin' soundtrack. video game, you have to fight to, to save your life or to win the game, right? In a movie, you're a passive observer. Uh, your adrenaline might go up or down, uh, but it's not you pulling the trigger. That was scholar Saud al-Zaid. You can follow him on Twitter at Thoughtism.